this your first time here, we just, we just love the Lord. We love people. Church is multi-generational, multicultural. We just love to do what God guides us to do in our city, in our community. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV for the message. Some of the, some of the things on the screen, I believe, may be New Living and also ESV. But if you have a, uh, well, whatever, whatever you have. Now, can I, can I say something to you about this? I know we really... We, we've gotten used to electronics and all that, and a lot of folks do that. But I, I really like to see folks carry their Bible. How many Bible carriers do I got in the house today? Amen. Amen. It's, good. it's just good to carry, to carry your, your Bible. Amen? All right. Uh, let, me, let me read this. James chapter 2, verses 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if I'm a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges and evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbors yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing to sin and are convicted by the law's transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act to those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So far, the reading of the word. Father, it's good to be in your house. It's good to be in your presence. It's good to be with your people. I pray, Lord God, for churches that are gathering all over this city. I pray that the, the pastors, Lord God, will preach the word of God, that people will really be infected by the word. And the Spirit of God will rest in their hearts and in their minds, and they would be inspired and encouraged in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Pray particularly for Pastor Wood and Trinity Christian Center, and we pray for the CTC locations and uh, around the world. We pray, Lord God, that you would work through uh, the men and women of God there who are doing the work that you've called them. And Lord, in this house today, we're praying that you would minister to the needs as the word is preached. I know very well that not everything I speak about today will be seemingly will be relevant to every situation that's happening among us. But I pray, Lord God, that the gospel will speak to the life and heart of every person that's here and that Jesus Christ is exalted and lifted up. Lord, I pray that I will decrease, that you might increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer, can we say amen. 
Several years ago, I ministered at a church in uh, Harlem, New York. The church is called Bethel Gospel Assembly. The pastor of that church now is Carlton Brown, and the church is now about 1,500 people. Now, the, the beginnings of that church, though, is, is very interesting. In 1915, two uh, African-American ladies went down to a church called Glad Tidings in Manhattan. This was in 1915. While they were sitting in this service in, in Glad, Glad Tidings, they heard the gospel. They were convinced of who Christ is and that they needed to respond to that message of faith. And they gave their life to Jesus Christ there at Glad Tidings Assembly. Glad Tidings Assembly was a, was a uh, Assembly of God church. And even though it was a distance for them, they wanted to be able to fellowship there. When they put in for a membership there at the church, they were rejected because they were not of the same race of the people who were leading the church and those who gathered the church. So they were rejected from membership. There was a lady there by the name of Lillian Krager. She was a, a German lady. She was uh, in a relationship where she was soon to be married. She had a real heart for those, those two uh, African-American ladies and began to make the trip up to Harlem to meet with them and have Bible study, to teach them the word of the Lord. That little Bible study where Lillian Crager was leading went from just two people to three people to five people to 10 people to 20 people to 30 people. It just kept growing. Her fiance told her, listen, you're gonna have to make a choice. You, it's either gonna be us, meaning me and you, or it's gonna be them. I'm not gonna follow through with this marriage if you're gonna continue to go to the Upper East Side of, of Manhattan into Harlem and minister to those people. She said as difficult as it was and as painful as it was with a broken heart, she made a decision that she was going to continue to minister to those folks in Harlem. She said the Lord gave a scripture, and this is a quote from her. It was Isaiah 54.1. It says, Sing, O barren, thou, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. Thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Because Lillian made a decision that she was going to continue to disciple those folks that was rejected in other churches. Out of that church, she, after a period of time, there was a pastor that was called in to pastor the people. Then that pastor eventually turned over to a friend of mine who's passed away, Ezra Williams, who now has turned the church over to Carlton Brown. Because that lady made a decision that she was not going to let any bias at all impede her from declaring the gospel. Bethel Gospel Assembly, again, 1,500 people, and they've planted over 24 churches around the world because one person made a decision that nothing should impede the gospel. Now, I, I never want to impose upon people something that's, that may not be necessarily the case for everyone. I, I don't necessarily want to do that. But I believe I can say confidently, and, and believe me, I've worked through this with my small group, my CLG. I've worked through it with my staff. I, I believe it's safe to say that all of us have some prejudice and some stereotype. Now, hold on for a minute before you start saying, oh, time to go. He didn't just 
labeled me. Let me, let me just work with you for just a moment and I'll, you'll see where I'm going. The, the real definition of prejudice is a preconceived opinion that's not based on reason or actual uh, experience. It's a preconceived opinion. Now, I want you to hear this. Not all prejudice is evil. And I'll prove that to you in just a moment. Not all prejudice is evil. Because understand, it's a prejudgment. Understand this. Now, for example, if I was to walk into a place and I didn't know anybody in there, didn't know anybody in the lunchroom or anybody in the cafeteria, and I got my plate to eat, and when I turned, there was only two seats available on two tables. One was a table of all African-Americans with one seat. And one was a table of all Caucasians or Hispanic or something other than African-American. And there was one seat. More than likely, I would go sit at the table of all African-Americans just because of comfort level and maybe conversation that I believe I can relate to, etc. There's no evil about that. I didn't make any action toward the other table. I just made a choice. Simply based on my opinion, I would probably be more comfortable at this table. Yep, I don't expect you to say much, but I'm going to be all right. (laughs) And this is one of those ones that's hard to say, man, because you don't know who you're sitting next to, and I get it. Stereotypes also work in a manner that's challenging. Because stereotype, the basic meaning of, is the fixed or an oversimplified image or idea of a particular person or thing. And we know that how that works out. There's certain assessments we can make about people just by maybe how they're dressed or just maybe by what they have on, just maybe by certain attitudes or certain ways that they talk or certain things that they do. I, again, I don't want to pose anything on anybody, but oftentimes when I'm sitting on the airplane, there's certain images I have about folks when they're coming down the aisle thinking whether that person will sit next to me or not. Let me tell you why sometimes stereotypes aren't always bad. If anybody shows up at my door that wants to marry one of my daughters, you can be sure I'm going to size them up at the door. There's going to be some kind of image I got in my mind when I see them. And I think, okay, ah, yeah, okay, 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 yep. So Forrest Whitaker is a good actor, and this this is what he says. He He says stereotypes do exist, but we have to walk through them. Now, I want you to take the definition of prejudging and take the definition of stereotype And then now, here is where the evil comes. Because just having a prejudgment about someone and not acting on it in any ill manner or having a stereotype about what you see, being stereotypical, and not acting upon it is not a cause for evil. But it's when we take those thoughts of prejudgment, being prejudiced, and having stereotypes and work them into a bias to where now my prejudice 
or my stereotype has now caused me to have favor towards some people or against certain people because of my prejudice or because of my stereotype. I hope I caught you along the way because that's when it gets wrong. That's when it gets evil. That's when it gets unfair. I can be standing in an elevator and somebody could walk in and I can have a stereotype about them and I could be working through the process of my stereotype in my mind, but I can still turn to them and say, hello, how you doing? And they never know what I had to work through in my mind. But then there's those cases where when we do those things that are, that are actually evil, that are actions and attitudes that we know absolutely are wrong and hurt and cause pain and deep. The scripture is really clear about that. I shared with my CLG, I believe it was 1987, uh, 87 or 88, there was a home on 6th Avenue by Yuma High School that I wanted to buy. I really liked the home. I had had a realtor a couple of times let me in and look at it, and the house needed a, a quite a bit of work, a lot of work. And, but I, I just had a vision of what I could do with that house and how that house would be fantastic for my family. And so I, I told the realtor that I wanted to uh, have someone come look at the house with me. And it was a, it was a gentleman, actually, um, uh, John Vance's grandfather. He, he was a guy, I knew I could put the money together to buy the home, but all the repairs and stuff that needed and getting it up, I knew I would need someone to come alongside that would help me financially to pull that off. So I wanted to bring him down. He was one that said that he would be willing to do that, to take a look at it, to see if I'm on track on what it would do, what we needed to do and how much it would cost. So we go to the home and all we could do was look at the outside. The realtor was going to meet us there at a certain time. And so we walked around the outside, kind of buying time, 15 minutes later, no show, 20 minutes later, no show, 30 minutes later, no show. And we're just standing now in front of the house waiting for the realtor. And the neighbor comes out and walks to the fence. And the neighbor said, are you waiting? I don't think he knew my name. No, I, I, I think he asked, was I waiting for the realtor to come? I said, yes, I was. I went over and introduced myself, introduced uh, Mr. Michener that was with me. And I think he gave his name. I can't recall. And, and he said, well, the realtor's not coming. I says, oh, the realtor's not coming. He said, no, the realtor's not coming. Once I saw that you wanted to buy the house, I went on and called the realtor and gave them cash because I saw that you wanted to buy the house. Now, James, he's talking about how favoritism and partiality can work out into an evil sense where the bias that we may have toward people, comparing them to others, can lead to some stuff that's absolutely some sinful action. And and I want you to get this. This this is what James is doing here is no minor exhortation. You could read this and you could think, well, that's not me. And, And first of all, James is using an analogy. He's not necessarily saying that this really happened among them. He's saying an if. And he uses an if that works pretty good because there's some, they're pretty poor there, those that he's writing to in Jerusalem and abroad because they've been under persecution. Some of them have lost jobs and houses, etc. So they're in some, they're, a lot of them are in some pretty rough states. 
And so they would have a tendency to want to gravitate to people that might be a little bit more fluent that they believe could help them. So he's using an analogy or, uh, yeah, uh, 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 yeah, an example, but a pretty good one. But what James is saying is whenever we have these kind of issues, it affects us in what we do with the heart of the gospel. And again, I, I think oftentimes, even in Christian circles, we can fall into this sense. It, it's, it's sometimes you can hear people when they talk about their church, oftentimes they'll tell you about the people that, the prominent people, especially bigger churches, mega churches and other cities, they'll celebrate the, the celebrities and, uh, and the music artists and the movie stars that, that's in their church. And when you say, tell me about some of the folks in the church, they'll never tell you about the poor widow who got saved. They'll only tell you about the, the people whose names you would know, the celebrities, the movie stars, etc. D.A. Carson said in his book, The Cross and the Christian Ministry, he says, why is it that we constantly parade Christian athletes, media personalities, and pop singers? Why should we think that their opinions or their experiences of grace are of any more significant than those of any other believer in our churches? It's a great, it's a great statement. And so when we consider this, James is saying our preferential treatment sometimes can cause us to do things that's opposed to the heart of the gospel and and have us less than Christ-centered. When everything about what we believe and everything that we know about what Jesus done is for all. Now, I think all of us get this. All of us get the fact that we're not all born equal. Not everybody's born with the same level of intelligence or intelligence ability. Not everybody's born with the same talents. Not everybody's born in the same circumstances and the same environment. Not everybody is born equal. Some folks are not born in a situation where both parents are there. Not everyone is born equal. But there is no doubt about it that every one of us are created equal. Every one of us are created with the same value that God gives every person, every person who's lived on this planet, no matter what country you're from, no matter what your skin color is, no matter what your status is, no matter what your intelligence level is, every one of us are created equal and have value in the eyes of the almighty God. And that same value that we learn from God, we're to take on. Listen to what the Lord said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. He says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty God, and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. Listen, he ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. That's the God that we serve. Everyone within view, everyone who has breath, everyone whose eyes we can look into has value before the Lord, equal value. As a matter of fact, Romans 2.11 says, God shows no partiality. And so the family of God and the community of God We're different than how the world makes distinctions. 
We see people different. We think of people different. We don't categorize them by culture or race, uh, although there's one human race, but ethnic group. We don't categorize them by economic status. We don't categorize them by gender or generational. If the church is truly to be a church that sits up on the hill and we're to lift up Jesus Christ, his name and his work and the power of Jesus, then that same church that sits up on the hill, it should be loving and accepting of everyone as we learn that by Jesus. So here's the bottom line. It's in James 1, which we read it, and here it is in ESV. My brothers, show no partiality. Check this. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's where the rubber meets the road. Because if we, if, we're, if we don't understand the love that Jesus has given us and responded back to that love, then we might be limited on how we love other people. But because we know the love of God and the love that God has given to us, when, if you're honest, every one of us was unlovable. If you think that you were born and you came out the womb with a mindset to look up to God and say, look at me, you ought to love me, you didn't absolutely missed it. None of us are lovable in and of ourselves. The only reason that we are lovable is because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son can you say amen and so we may have this mindset in in school you know it's it's a b c d e uh, a b c d f and 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 if and if you was like me you didn't have to get a's (laughs) you didn't have to (laughs) you might have you might have showed up every day thinking this gonna be the year i'm gonna get my first day you might have that mindset But if you got a B, you were still proud to take it home. If you got a C, I can still play football with a C. I can still play. So so as long as you got a grade that kept you in the system. But when it comes to loving folks, it's pass or fail. There is no, God don't come and say, ah, you're kind of loving people on a D level. I'll just let you hang on in here with me because you're loving on a D level. If you just bring it up to a C next time, Tyrone, if you just bring, I'll give you a little star. Church will clap for you. Staff will say, yay, pastor, you're doing good. No, it's pass or fail. It's either we love or we don't. And James said in, in, in verse number eight, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and you are doing well. Now, that's the end of the message, really. But uh, because I don't think you got it yet, I'm going to go on just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. And, and, and I am going to tell you, I'm just going to give you three words. I'm, I'm really going to wrap this up with three words. And, and I, really did, I really did struggle with how to apply this. And again, I, my, my CLG, my life group on Wednesday night was fantastic. Instead of me doing the lesson that I had, we walked through this message and they gave me some great stuff. My team, I talked over with Tyrone and Philip, got some great stuff. And, and I've come to, I'm, I'm just going to close this out with three words. And the words are but, so, and because. But, so, and because. And, and I just want you to lean in on this because I think you'll get where I'm going. Because here's the first thing. The first word is but. Listen to what he says in verse number nine, and this is coming out of New Living. 
But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin and you're guilty. And, and it's really that simple. So this is what James is saying. Because we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we hold to that, that is our testimony. That's what we acknowledge. That's what we're to live by. But, he says, if you favor some folks over others, even though you may hold that testimony, you're committing sin. James is basically saying whenever we label others and act upon that negatively, the bottom line is we're affecting the work of the gospel and the mission of the church. It's really that simple, not just CTC, any church, because Jesus gave us a clear mandate that we're to make disciples of every ethnic group, of every people, of every culture, every generation, every gender. We're to make disciples. We're to preach the gospel and make disciples. Who gave us the permission to determine who those people would be? Who gave us the option to determine who it was that we were going to have enough love for, that we wanted to minister to them? Who gave us the authority to pick and choose who it is that we love? And we see examples of this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I always like to pick on Jonah because Jonah just, I mean, Jonah just, he's a built-in sermon. This dude is just a built-in sermon. So the Lord comes to Jonah, as you know, in Jonah chapter 1, and he, he says, listen, I want you to, th- there's, there's a big cry from the Ninevites. There's so much evil that's going on there. It's a big cry. I want you to go to the Ninevites, and I want you to proclaim my word. Because I got, I'm telling you, Jonah, judgment is coming, but I want them to hear the word. Listen to the grace of God and, and know this. God will never judge anybody without showing them grace somehow before that time. He says, I want you to go and give them the word. You, you know what Jonah did, or well, maybe you don't, but let me tell you what, what old brother Jonah did. He's a good prophet too, and a good preacher. Jonah decided that he was not going to go do that. And Jonah had, if I could say this, some stuff going on in his head and his heart that was legitimate about the Ninevites. If you read in Nahum, you will see where the Ninevites was coming in and wrecking their land time and time again. Jonah did not like them, folks, because they kept coming into his land, taking cattle, destroying crops, killing women and children. They did it time and time again. And here God says to Jonah, instead of the Lord saying, I want you to give you an encouraging word to give to your people, I want you to go preach to the folks who've been destroying you. So Jonah decides, I'm not doing that. And the scripture says, Jonah buys him a ticket to Tarshish and foolishly decides he's going to go somewhere away from the presence of the Lord. You see, this, this is what bias and prejudice and racism will do to you if you let it get out of whack. He said, I'm just going to get out of the presence of the Lord. So he bought him a ticket, went on board, and he tried to escape the Lord. As the story goes, Jonah gets Jonah, the people on the ship, there's a big storm that comes. They're, they're under assault by the storm. They start throwing stuff overboard. They realize they're going to lose it all. Jonah's honest enough to say, this storm is because of me. I'm running from the Lord. And first they try to work through it and say, well, let's just, let's just work through it. Because they were, they were not people who were following after God. And Jonah finally convinced them, it's me, man. I'm telling you, it's me. If you get rid of me, then this storm will stop. Sure enough, they said, oh, well, that's enough. We ain't dying for you. Throw him overboard. 
As the story goes, there's a, there's a giant fish. We believe it to be a whale. Don't know for sure, but believe it to be a whale. That giant fish came, and I'm, let me just say this. Even if you don't believe it's a whale, I believe the Bible. Any fish that swallow up a man is a miracle. Bottom line, right? Let's just leave it at that. So this big old fish comes, swallows up Jonah. Jonah's down in the, in the belly of the whale, seaweed all around him. He's crying out to God, asking God for liberation, pre- repenting, saying, you're the Lord of salvation. The Lord uses the fish to spit him out up on the shore. He has a one-day journey to get to Nineveh, and he starts proclaiming the word of the Lord. He does it out of one, out of the fear of God, and two, realizing out of, out of a sense of obedience, but not necessarily out of the love for the folks. So he goes through and he preaches. And God, I mean, I'm telling you, Jonah was a good preacher. Jonah's the type who can walk in CTC on a Sunday, have us all falling on our face. The king and everybody went on the fast. The king said, I want the animals on the fast. The dude preached. They all fasted, and the Lord decides he's going to save them. Isn't that, isn't that a novel thought, God decided to save folks? God decided to save them. Jonah pitches a fit, man. I'm talking a fit, and decides to go up on a mountain and sit there just in case God changed his mind. He wanted them folks to be blown up. And he wanted to get a front row seat. He heard about things that have happened in other places, Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, any minute God could change his mind and fire will come down and going to blow these folks up. He's just sitting there waiting. God had already made a decision, but what did God do? He brought up a vine. Jonah started complaining because he was bald-headed, you see. That's why I don't... I, anyway. Yeah. You better keep a little something up there. But anyway, so, so, he, so the sun was on him. And Jonah decided, why are you waiting for God to blow folks up? God, why don't you take care of my head? So God, in his graciousness, raises up a vine that covers Jonah, gives him some shade. And then after a day, I think it's a day, the Lord sends the vine to get killed. Jonah complains that God killed the vine that was covering his head. Are y'all following me? And listen what the Lord says to Jonah in verse number 10 of chapter 4. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's the heart of the Lord. And when we get that Jonah mentality that we're going to exercise our biases and our favoritism, we absolutely miss what God is trying to do in a city like Yuma, Arizona, with 120,000 people. The New Testament folks had to get the same thing. I won't go through all of the story, but Peter got a message from God that he is no longer to have any favoritism or any biases toward people, and he's to preach the gospel also to the Gentiles. And the scripture says Peter got that message. He went down to Cornelius' house. He began to see right away when he was preaching Jesus that they were responding to the message. This was Gentile people. Peter even let him know when he got there, I don't usually come into Gentile people's house. We don't care for y'all, y'all don't care for us, but the Lord has shown me something. The scripture says in verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him 
and do what is right. This is the message of good news for all the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Shout all. He's Lord of all. So Peter speaks to those folks, leads them to Christ. Baptism's going and everything. Then he's got to go report to the elders in Jerusalem. News reached the apostles. This is verse number 11. And other believers in Judea and the Gentiles had, re- that, that Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him saying, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them? Peter just opened up the door to Jesus to a whole segment of people that didn't have the opportunity and they're criticizing because of bias and because of favoritism. Peter dealt with that issue and he dealt with it well. Listen to what he says. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell fell upon them just as he fell upon us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, who was I to stand in God's way? Come on, somebody. Who are we to stand in God's way? And see, CTC exists to help people that are far from God find life in Christ. We absolutely believe that there's still a whole lot of folks in this city who need to know Jesus. And we don't care what background they come from or what culture. We don't care about that. Folks, listen, that's why our hearts and mind got to be on point every week. When people come to this building, they need to be loved. They need to be accepted. They need to know there's a Jesus who loves them. Guest services got to be on point. Ushers got to be on point. Hospitality got to be on point. We need folks to come in here and know this is a safe place. You can be loved. You can be accepted. We don't want no reason for the gospel to be impeded in any manner because of our hearts for others. Am I talking to the right church? Let me hit these last two, two more words. I'm closing after two more words. Here's a second word. So, so, listen to this. Whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged. Simple as that. We just got to live who we are. When it comes to other people, this is what I ask myself. And believe me, all of us can have challenges with people, but I got to ask myself on a constant basis, what is their spiritual position and what is my spiritual hope? What is their position now and what is my hope for them? What is my hope? And that'll help us come to the conclusion that they need the Lord just as we did. And finally, here's the last word. I'm closing after this last word. Number three, because... Listen to what he says. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Now, again, that's real simple. And I'm going to do something here that I I don't normally do, but I'm going to do it because it it couldn't have been done no better. Because this this is what James is saying. And he's just simply doing what Jesus has already modeled. He already modeled mercy over judgment. He's already informed us through the parables that when we're merciful, God will always be merciful to us. And that should be the heart. And I'm going to recommend this message. I'm sure you can find it somewhere. I think one of the best sermons I've ever heard preached in my Christian life was by Judas Smith out of Luke chapter 10. And in that message, he dealt with with the Good Samaritan. Now, I want to I bring out a point that I learned from him, which was so good, but I want you to catch this first. This is Luke 10 to 25, and you may, you may know what's happening here. Jesus is teaching, and listen to what happened. Teacher, 
What should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbors yourself, right? Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, there's no way to define that question except one conclusion. He wanted to get this small circle of people that Jesus would say, yeah, those are the ones that you love. This one, this one, this one, that's your neighbor. The people that are like you, that's your neighbors. The people that you live with, that's your neighbors. People on your block, that's your neighbors. People that you're used to being around, that's your neighbors. People that you're comfortable with, that's your neighbors. Just show love to your neighbors. But isn't it just like Jesus, when we think we got something figured out, he jacks us up. And Jesus said, oh, you think you got that, do you? Well, let me tell you a little story. And he told him about a Jewish man that was traveling. And he's on his way down to Jericho. And he got beat up. He got robbed. He got beat up. He got stripped of his clothing. Jesus says a priest comes by, one of the religious leaders. And the scripture says he came along. He saw the man lying there, and he went to the other side. Then a temple assistant came, also one of the religious leaders that works there. And he, he comes and he sees this man who's been beaten up, bloody, clothes taken from him. He looks down upon him and then he walks to the other side. But then Jesus talks about a Samaritan that came. And it's no doubt about that. Uh, I don't think there's any dispute about who Jesus was portraying as a Samaritan. He was certainly portraying himself as a good Samaritan. Because he had to turn their world upside down. You see, because Jewish folks believe Samaritans were ungodly people, and there's no way in the world we should take care of them and love them. Because God doesn't. And so Jesus portrays himself as a Samaritan who goes and takes the man, the Jewish man, ministers to him, bandages him up, olive oil, wine, and he takes him to a place to be cared for. I think good exegete can, can definitely show us that he's portraying the heart of Jesus for us as people. Even when we don't have the same comfort level, maybe the same background, maybe the same status, maybe the same intelligent, maybe come from the same ethnic group, the same comfort level, that whoever is in need, we as a people of God, just like Jesus, will say, that's my neighbor. And we'll take those folks who are our neighbors that we have a responsibility for. And hear this church, as long as we're breathing on this planet, we of every race in this uh, culture in this building, of every status group, we got a responsibility for people in our city. And our heart is to love them, care for them, and to get them to a place whether it be the house of God, whether it be your small group, wherever it will be, get them to a place where they'll be among other folks just like you who love Jesus and you want them to love Jesus just like you. Anything short of that, we are keeping the gospel message from having a full impact to people that Jesus has given us responsibility for. My time is long up. Stand up. Hope you got it. Oh, 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 yeah, okay. Oh, shoot. Oh, one more, one more. Sorry, 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 sorry. One verse, one verse. This does it. 
This does it. Jesus said, now which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandage? Jesus asked, the man replied, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, then go now and do the same. That's, that's it. That's it. Now go now and do the same. Father, I thank you for this opportunity we've had to learn more about you and from you. And we believe you, Lord God, to be a God that's able to help us. Help us, Lord God, to love beyond ourselves and to give beyond ourselves, to have a heart for others that are not like us, that we may not be comfortable with in all of our possible prejudgments and possible stereotypes. Lord God, let us not fall into a place where we act upon those in a manner that separates people from us, separates people from the gospel, separates people from the love of God. Let us, Lord Jesus, be people who are able to break down through all of that and to love our neighbor, showing mercy just like you've shown to us. You are indeed a merciful God And we can all stand here and rejoice because of your mercy and because of your love and because of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. May the people of God say amen. I'm going to let you go, but I want the prayer people to come. We want altars to be open. They're going to just take us into a song. I'm going to dismiss you, but you might be here and you may need prayer for whatever reason. You may not, maybe you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the time. You may be struggling with with who Jesus is and what that really means to me. There's people here to pray for you. Maybe need healing. Someone to yoke with you, to pray with you through whatever family matter is or situation. You're in the right place. You're in a safe place. I'm going to dismiss you. We're going to go and go into a time of worship. God bless you. Have a great, great week. Father, we thank you for the time we've had together. Lord, may you be glorified even for those who come to the altar with courage and with faith. Lord, may we minister to them effectively. Thank you for everyone that's attended. May they all go out and have a great week glorifying you. In Jesus' name, get into a CLG, get into a life group. Have a great week. God bless you.